Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky, Senior Editor. Hi, everyone. Well, Mara, some good news from Salem. Days of Our Lives returned to production this week following a positive COVID test shutdown. So they were only down for about a week and we won't see any interruption on screen, which is great also. Um, I spoke to the show's executive producer, Ken Corday, this week, who told me that they're actually trying to get on a brisker production schedule again so they can bank more episodes. But bottom line, they're back and all is well. Um, in other soap news, Bold and Beautiful's Carla Mosley has announced that she is done at the show as Maya. Now, we have not seen Carla or Maya since May of 2019 but I feel there was always a chance she could come back. Um, So it was kind of disappointing to hear this. Uh, We will see Maya's dad, Julius, played by Oba Baba Tunde in episodes next week, but it looks like Maya will continue to be MIA. You know, I'm not like totally shocked by it, given how long it's been since we've seen Maya and with Rick off the canvas, but it's always kind of disappointing when a character just disappears like that. Um, And it's such a like wah-wah kind of ending for what was a really important arc, that of Maya's transgender identity. Uh, She was the biggest, most established character to be the subject of a transgender story out of the admittedly small handful uh, that Daytime has told. But just like the others, this one unfortunately did not get the most satisfying ending. Very true. Um, Well, we did get a satisfying ending from the Dina story on Young and the Restless. I mean, not satisfying that we saw her pass away, but they did wrap up the story in that Jack found the, you know, Titanic-like necklace she referenced and returned it to her before she died. It was really poignant. I thought Marla Adams, who uh, played Dina, was so brave to appear on camera with no makeup. I mean, we rarely see actors do that, never mind an actress of a certain age. Um, I think you're very aware that the thing I hate the most is the actresses who choose the non-waterproof mascara in crying scenes so that we can see the black streaks on their face, you know, but I digress. Um, All of the actors in those Y&R scenes, you know, Peter Bergman, Eileen Davidson, Beth Maitland, they all did a great job. You know, what's interesting is that her death came so close to Mike's on General Hospital, uh, mainly because, you know, these are two stories that had just sort of were being told on separate networks and yet they dovetailed in a very interesting way. And uh, we've certainly gotten letters from readers who weighed in on both stories coming to an end. Yeah, I assume that was just sort of a random coincidence that both shows undertook their Alzheimer's tales at around the same time and brought them to an end at around the same time. I have to give a shout out to the promo team at YNR. I thought they did such a sterling job with the ad uh, touting the end of the the story, which had flashbacks of Marla through the years and also showed uh, the actress being presented with a standing ovation and flowers when she filmed her final scene. Like, I'm honestly getting emotional just thinking about the promo, which tells you how well done I think it was. Also, sort of a random coincidence, and yet one born out of a long-established story, is that both of the parents at the center of the Alzheimer's tales, uh, Mike and, and Dina, had really strained relationships with their children because they had walked out on them when they were young. So the shows didn't tell 
parallel tales exactly, but there were powerful parallels within them. Um, and I think that the complexities of the bond between parent and child really added so much richness and so much believability to both of the stories where the adult children had to find a way to make peace with the ways their parents had disappointed them, but also rise to the occasion to be their caretakers. It's, it's something so many viewers can relate to, uh, and it could be really difficult to watch, but both journeys were really emotionally rewarding and we saw such impactful performances uh, from the cast of both shows. I don't know that we could have asked for more. Oh, I totally agree. Yeah, on a separate note and a much lighter note, uh, right about the time that Sonny was saying goodbye to Mike, I got a call from Maurice Bernard, his portrayer, along with Ken Schreiner, who plays his on-screen rival Scott Baldwin. Uh, they had just shot an episode of Maurice's YouTube series, which used to be an Instagram series called State of Mind, where he explores uh, different topics related to mental health and also just shares like where he is from week to week with his own mental health struggles. Um, he had Ken on to talk about uh, Ken's obsessive compulsive disorder. And Maurice told me that he wanted to have more actors from the show as guests, but he found that generally speaking, people were sort of reluctant to speak publicly about uh, having these kinds of struggles. But uh, Maurice and Ken are so hilarious together, and you can find uh, their interview in the new issue of the magazine, where they not only talk about their own friendship, and they admit it actually took them some years to really warm up to each other and develop a deeper bond, but they also found the time to lovingly make fun of the hairstyles of just about every male member of the cast. Uh, I really hope that GH fans enjoy this one. I mean, it is impossible for them not to. That interview is pure gold. I loved every word. It was like a thoroughly delightful read. That The hairstyles was truly my favorite. Um, <laughs> you know, I really do love hearing about actors' real-life bonds. You know, I want to know who likes each other and how that manifests itself, like whether they're going to lunch together or hanging out offset. I thought it was so cool how when we had Marcy Miller on the podcast from Days, she was temporarily bunking with her co-star Sal Stowers. You know, like their BFF bond is legit. Um, I just saw photos of Bold and Beautiful alums, Kim Batula, who played Hope, and Lindsay Godfrey, who played Caroline, but is now Days of Sarah, working out together. Uh, I feel like GH's Haley Aaron, who played Kiki, and Chloe Lanier, who played Nell, post pics together all the time. I, I don't know. I just love that. Now, on another note, November marks 45 years since the first issue of Soap Opera Digest, and you and I have been digging into our archives to find old covers and interviews for that very special issue we're doing. Um, our guest today was one of the more memorable covers of the 1990s. It's Antonio Sabato Jr., who played Jagger, and we did a cover with him and Vanessa Marcel where he's dipping Vanessa back. Um, so you really don't see her full on. And the cover line is GH's Jagger setting daytime on fire. Um, <laughs> and you know, it really wasn't an overstatement. He like could not have been a bigger deal when he joined the show. Um, and I remember when we were looking through those photos and it was sort of a controversial pose because again, you couldn't really see Vanessa, but in looking at it now, you know, it stands the test of time. It is pretty cool. Absolutely. I remember buying that issue at the newsstand. Uh, and might I just say that, in my opinion, Jagger Cates is one of the all-time greatest soap names. Oh, it is. That one is hard to top. Um, <laughs> so let's check in with Antonio and see what he's been up to. Hi, Antonio. Hi. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, Mara. How are you guys? We're good. good. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate thanks it. For, thanks for joining us. We're so happy to catch up with you. Yep. Um, so first of all, tell us where you are and how the past few months have been for you. Uh, we are in uh, Clearwater in uh, Tampa, 
Uh, a few months have been, you know, I mean, we can't complain. We go to work and we do what we have to do to stay healthy. And uh, my daughter actually had it. And uh, we went through that with her. She's fine. She's perfectly fine now. And now everybody else is fine. And, um, yeah, so we love living here. It's been, it's been pretty good. You know, we won the Stanley Cup. We're in the World Series. <laughs> it's, it's all happening. <laughs> <laughs> pretty good <laughs> maybe the, maybe we'll have you know we have the super bowl coming here next next year so tampa is uh, doing pretty well <laughs> to be. absolutely well antonio we're very excited to do like a deep dive into your life um now you were a leap year baby as you know you were born on february 29th and you were born in italy um your dad was like a celebrated movie star um and your mom is in real estate so you lived in Italy for the first 12 or so years. What was it like to grow up there? It was the best. We, we, we recently went back last year and uh, saw my family. We spent like a whole month there and we didn't want to leave. I love, I love Italy. I love my country. I love, you know, I, I am very fortunate to be able to say I'm an American citizen, but I'm also an Italian citizen too. And so and my kids are Italian citizens too. Uh, and that means a lot to me, you know, my heritage, where I came from. And also... I actually would be Czech citizen too from my mom's side, but we lost that that passport. Uh, but in theory, I'm actually you know American, Czech, and Italian. So it, it's been uh, been pretty cool. And growing up in Europe was fantastic. Um, I've learned so much about life and history, and just what I really wanted to do. And I also learned a lot about this country before I came here, so it made me appreciate it even more. But uh, Italy's fun. We we gain a lot of weight. We eat too much over there. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Way too much. <laughs> well, what was it like to grow up like the son of a movie star? Well, my dad kept uh, me and my sister away from, from the movies, life, and that kind of thing. You know, my, my dad was very overly protective uh, of his children, as he should have. And, uh, and you can read it in the book. You know, there's a lot of wonderful stories of my family, what we've been through and stuff. And um, so I never really grew up with the Hollywood, you know, I mean, I had people coming over my house that were very, very famous. I didn't know who they were. Uh, I knew them now. Uh, but um, my father was, you know, like people were asking me to be in films when I was a little boy. My father said, no, my, my boy's going to be staying away from this life. And then when I got older, I told my dad that I really wanted to be an actor. And um, he said, listen, you want to be an actor, you got to work hard. You got to go to acting classes and you got to show me and your mom that you really want to do it and then we'll stand by you. And so I did. And um, I did, I did, I did. And I showed them that I really loved it. So my dad, was, at that point, he was very, very on my side and we started working together. But, and I understand because I, I have kids now. So I understand what my dad was going through. But um, it was wonderful to be able to, to look at my father's movies and his history and the life that my dad had been through, which it's, it's fascinating. And my mother's too. And I'm, very, I'm very blessed. I have great parents. Um, you and uh, your parents and your sister made the move to the States um, and you settled in Beverly Hills. So, so can you describe what kind of culture shock that must have been like for you, especially because at the time you weren't fluent in English? Yeah, well, we, we went to school in Beverly Hills, but we had a fake address. We actually did something we weren't supposed to. For the first uh, two years, uh, first year actually, we lived in Hollywood, but we were able to go to Beverly Hills because my parents were like, we can't afford living there. So we had a friend that had a 
they lived there and allowed us to use their address for the first and then we eventually were able to save enough money to live in an apartment in the lower part of Beverly Hills so we would go to school there um, but my parents always worked hard find new ways to, 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 to get in. Never, never asked the country to give, never applied for any welfare programs of any kind. My, my mom had like, talk about real estate. My mom had like four jobs at the same time, working different every other day. My dad was working construction after working as an actor because, you know, life was really tough and doing other jobs too, to send us to school uh, and learn English and, and, and hopefully have a future in this country with me and my sister. Actually, you know, we did. Um, but uh, I give credit to my parents, what they went through. Uh, amazing. And then we ran out of money for the first two years. So after that, me and my dad and my mom went back to Italy. Uh, and my sister had to stay and lived with another family and finished high school here. And it was just, um, it was tough times, very tough times. Um, what was your experience at Beverly Hills High like? You know, it was it was incredible. I mean, I didn't have a lot of friends because, tell you the truth, I couldn't speak English. I had to really work that out. But I was very friendly, and I was I was always trying to. You know, I was in the drama department. I, w- I wanted to be an actor, and so I got to know people. But um, everybody was like, "That's an Italian boy. That you know, he can't really. You know, he's Italian, really Italian from Rome." And uh, it was like um, it, it was it was a shock. But for me. It was a pleasant shock. I loved LA. I loved living in California. I loved going to school there. I loved everything about America. So I was a big fan. You know, I missed my friends in Italy. I missed my family over there and it was tough, but I couldn't complain. I was, I was living in, you know, in, in Beverly Hills and going to school and this amazing campus was a huge Beverly Hills high to me. I mean, we'll go to little schools in Rome. They're very small, uh, maybe, I don't know, 10 kids or whatever. And then I go to a Beverly Hills high where it's like huge and they have a theater department, they have a football team, they have all this stuff. It was very overwhelming. So when you were 16, you moved to New York temporarily. Um, why did you make that decision? And what was your experience in New York like? Well, by, by 16, uh, I went to five different high schools, including the one in Italy. Uh, and my high school days were coming to an end. I wanted to become an actor. I wanted to start living my life. I couldn't wait to get out of the house. So I did what I had to do in school. Um, you know, went for the GED test uh, and said, you know what, I'll, I'll just do that and get out of here. And then I just went, went to New York on my own. I had two little bags with me. Um, I didn't know what I was going to do. Maybe I was going to model, make some money on the side. I never wanted to be a waiter. I said, I never, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be like, I don't want to do the waiter thing. You know, I don't want to be, I'll find any other job. I'll do construction. I'll do anything, but I'm not going to be a waiter. It was just, it was a goal of mine not to, you know, proceed the usual thing that actors do. They were waiters, right? Um, and, or bartenders or whatever. I didn't want to do that. So I went to New York and I was living in Manhattan by myself and loving life. You know, I, I made new friends. I modeled once in a while, not big jobs. Modeling was really nothing that I was really uh, fascinated by. Eventually later I did the Calvin Klein campaigns. But that was after I did General Hospital. I did a bunch of stuff, and uh, and I was fortunate to do those campaigns for for Calvin. But um, in New York, I've always dre- I was dreaming of being in the Calvin Klein campaign. That would have been amazing. But um, and then after that, I just took off and started auditioning and got an agent and really worked hard. Went to acting classes back in L.A. and created my career. You know, and that's how it, the whole thing started. 
Okay, so one of your first credits and one that has completely stood the test of time is that you starred um, in the music video for Love Would Never Do Without You with Janet Jackson, one of my favorites. What do you remember about being on set with her and that whole experience? It was incredible. I, 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 I gave an entire chapter in my book on that alone because it, um, it was great how I got the job, you know, how I went to this audition just by you know, coincidence, I guess, or just luck or whatever you want to call it. And I just went in and I got the job. And um, and then I drove my little Civic, Honda Civic, um, with sheepskin uh, seats, uh, manual, who's great, to the desert outside of L.A. And I knew I was going to be in a video with Jenna Jackson. I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know anything about it. And then before you know it, I went to the makeup. Uh, I met Peter Savick. He did my hair. He was one of the best hairstylists ever in the, in the fashion world. Still a friend of mine to the day. And it was just a big uh, setup in the middle of the desert in this dry lake outside of Lancaster. And um, it was just big. They had helicopters, they had everything. And I just showed up and I still don't know what I'm doing. And then before you know it, they call me and says, uh, come here, come on set. And I met Janet right away and we started working together and we shot a video. And I was, <laughs> it was, and we, you know, we've been friends. I love Janet ever since. And she gave me an opportunity of a lifetime. And Herb Ritz too, of course. Herb was, was the man and God bless his soul. That's amazing. Um, now, in 1992, you burst onto the daytime scene as Jagger Cates on General Hospital, a role that earned you two Soap Opera Digest Award nominations. Um, so first of all, tell us your GH casting story. Well, I tried out for GH a couple of years before uh, I went out for, for John Jagger Cates, and I didn't get it. And uh, I went through a lot of callbacks. I think it was like 10 callbacks for the first time I auditioned for GH. And I was like, wow, you know, I, I worked so hard and I didn't get it. But then it was meant to be, you know, God had bigger plans for me and, um, or just the right plans or whatever you want to call it. And uh, so I, I had another shot a couple years later and I said, I'm going to get this job. I, I really want to work on this show. Um, I love this show and uh, I, I'm going to get it. And I worked really hard and for I think two weeks straight I auditioned pretty much. I went to General Hospital every other day and we auditioned for I don't know how many people. Every time there was no new people wanted to see the audition, the audition. And, um, and I knew I, I, it was mine. It was just mine. I wanted to play this guy. And, and I had a great time playing John Jay and Gates. I would love to go back someday. If they ever call me after 25 years. Um, but it was, it was great. It was, it was, uh, um, it was fun. It was a lot of, it was very educational. I had a great producer to work with, with Wendy Rich and cast with Steve and Vanessa and, 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 and Carrie and everybody else. Um, I got to work with everybody on that show. It was great. Good people. Dishing with Digest is proudly sponsored by Nutrisystem. Nutrisystem is a leader in the weight loss industry, having helped millions of people lose weight over the course of more than 45 years. Do you feel like in these times of social distancing and working from home that weight gain has been creeping up on you with all those takeouts and snacks? Let me tell you, you're not the only one. This is where Nutrisystem can help and get you back on track. Nutrisystem is simple and convenient, and it's great getting delicious, filling meals delivered right to your door every week for way less than you would spend on takeout or delivery and it's much healthier. All the meals are quick to prepare and a delicious breakfast is as easy as grabbing a snack bar or muffin on your way out the door. All you need to do is follow the perfectly portioned meal plan. It's reduced the stress of meal planning and shopping and I'm eating so much better. There's a wide variety of recipes and I save so much time as meals come together quickly, which is less stressful and way less time consuming than going to the grocery store. Nutrisystem has exceeded my expectations. 
My favorite foods are the thick crust pizza and the chocolatey pretzel bar. And I can assure you that it's a great program for those looking for a complete plan to lose weight and stay healthy. Order Nutrisystem now. Go to our partner site, nutrisystem.com slash usweekly to get 50% off. Again, that's nutrisystem.com slash U-S-W-E-E-K-L-Y to get 50% off. Now back to the show. Well, Jagger was like the classic early 90s heartthrob. And he, of course, had the women going crazy in Port Charles. Brenda wanted him. Karen wanted him. What comes to mind when you think about, you know, working with Vanessa and Carrie Shane and Steve Burton in that early storyline? We had a great time. It, it was really, you know, the storylines back then, I don't know now, but they took, they took, uh, you know, weeks, months to really establish. It's not like right now where they have really short, storylines that last maybe a week or so, you know, they, they had, they really spend a lot of time developing these, sto- these storylines. Um, and so we had a chance in two years to do a, a vast, you know, uh, range of all kinds of storylines. Uh, but the main, the main thing with Jagger was his love, his big heart. And, uh, and he loved people and he loved to take care of them. And he just fell in love with, with Karen. And he also loved Brenda so much. I mean, he had just, he went through a lot. This, this kid went through so much and, I know him better than anybody, and um, the storylines were just fascinating. We broke a lot of the typical stuff they were doing on, on, on daytime. You know, we talked about AIDS. We talked about all kinds of stuff, relationships at a young age. We talked about, you know, we, we talked about, uh, yeah, we talked about pornography. We talked about all kinds of stuff that uh, were ahead of its time at the time, and especially with teenagers. You know, we were – we really playing all these kids in early twenties, late, you know, 18, 19 years old kids and going through so much. And, um, but all of them, all these characters turned their lives around and, um, which was really cool in two years to establish that. So he could come back. You never know. <laughs> for sure. Um, now Jagger and Karen were like the it GH couple of their day. Um, at what point did you feel like the relationship was working or did you have a sense that this was going to be a big thing? I, from the first day, I mean, we started working together, all of us, and we really clicked. But also, it took it took a lot of work and a lot of dedication too. At the same time, you know, we we had an acting teacher, Jay Goldenberg, that showed up on set, worked with me and everybody else on our scenes every day. You know, usually when you when you work on a daytime soap, uh, you know, you you're going to block your scenes and you're going to rehearse. I mean, you're blocking rehearsing, and then after that, you're going to shoot everything back to back. So it's a very fast paced. So you can get in this kind of usual, typical stuff. You do the same stuff every day. You know, you learn your lines. There's a lot of lines. You got to memorize all this stuff. But the work uh, is not as solid as it can be because you're working so fast. You kind of you you're working to get it done rather than working on the. So we took the time between rehearsals and the blocking to actual shooting, to work on these scenes every day. Um, and remember, the the scenes were written like maybe two days in advance. So we didn't have much time, but all that time we really worked on establishing this relationship and it showed up on set. I mean, it showed up on, on video and, uh, and people were very impressed with the work that we put in. So that's the kind of level that I wanted to work at. I enjoyed that because uh, it was very, um, it reminded me of theater. It reminded me of that kind of, you know, just, just working on the craft every day. Uh, and and um, you have no really have time to think you really are the character for those two years. It was really cool. And, uh, and the fans were just the best. The fans are still with me to this day. 
you know, soaps have a smaller audience than like primetime shows or movies, but you were such a big deal and you got a lot of visibility um, from playing Jagger on GH. You know, what was that like for you to live through that period of sort of becoming an, a known name and face and all of that? Well, I always wanted, you know, from the first day I started on GH, there was always this rumor about, you know, when you're doing press for the show, you really want to stick on daytime. You don't want to go, you know, as an actor, you usual at the time they were talking about actors on daytime, they would stick on daytime. They wouldn't go to primetime or they wouldn't do uh, feature films. There was a few exceptions like the Demi Moore and the John Stamos, but he stuck with TV, you know, mostly. But it was, they always wanted to put you in this box. And I was like, you know what? I treat acting as acting. I'm going to get out of here someday and I'm going to go to primetime. I'm going to do TV shows. I'm going to do this. I was the first one to be on Arsenio Hall at the time because people told me like, well, you know, Arsenio, and I was a big fan of Arsenio at the time. He was the biggest nighttime show host at the time, right? Uh, and he was like, people were telling me, well, daytime, don't, they don't go to the show. They're not invited. To, they don't get there. And I was like, I'll get there. I'm going to get there. And I, I was there. Um, so I always broke those kind of, uh, walls that were put in front of me by just the way Hollywood is and, um, how they want to create certain things. And we broke that, you know, cause as soon as I left GH, I went to earth Two. I started my, my, you know, but also in between too, I did a movie of the week when I was, when I was for NBC, I wanted to work in feature films. I wanted to work in movies. I also wanted, I wanted to work in everything. Um, so GH and the fan base is incredible to me. Um, they've been around for a long time and these fans are part of the show. What I suggest, what I would suggest to, to, the, to the producers of General Hospice, listen to your fans, listen to your fans because they know what they want. And if you give them what they want, you know, they're, they're going to stick with you. And I think the ratings, we did that and we, we used that kind of mentality and, um, and the ratings were good. We, I took the show from like number six to number two. If I had another year, I would have taken a number one um, and I could do it again. You know, I think soap shouldn't leave. I, I hope that soap stick around and they stay around for a long time. They're part of this country and they're, they're, they're part of the world. And, um, and, and so we need these storylines. We, we need to have this half hour or an hour of enjoyment where we get out of this world that we live in. And daytime has always been that way. That's what was created to, to give that entertainment while you are, Maybe have an hour off at work during the day, and uh, I hope they never leave. You know. So do we. Um, so when you did leave the show in '94, was it to do all those other things you wanted to do? Yeah, I was. I was gonna. You know, I was a young dad. I was becoming a young dad that summer of '94, and um, I wanted to get in other projects. I wanted to work in other characters. I wanted to to to, to explore. I wanted to get out of that that world that I really loved for two years that I dedicated my life and soul into it. And I just wanted to travel the world and, and do films and work with other producers and storylines. And, um, and I did that and, uh, and I continue to do that right now, but times have, have changed dramatically, I think in, in the world of entertainment, but um, you know, uh, I'm glad I did. And I took that chance and, you know, I had an opportunity to work with Steven Spielberg at the time. I couldn't say no to that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, another project that uh, might be of particular interest to our listeners is your arc on Melrose Place. Uh, you played the abusive ex-husband of Heather Locklear's Amanda. Uh, yeah. What was working with her like and just your Melrose experience in general? It was great. Spelling was a great man, a great producer, a, a wonderful individual. And uh, we clicked from the first moment we met. Uh, he told me we'll work together again and again and again. And we did. Um, but working on Melrose was fantastic. 
you know, he was, you know, Jack Parisi was uh, a character I played, you know, that he was an abusive ex-husband, but really she, Heather killed me. She killed Mike. <laughs> she was abusive to me. Uh, um, but working with Heather was wonderful. And, um, and, and the entire cast and the production team and, and Aaron too is, uh, he just, he was the best, you know? So it was fun. It was, it was, it was a great time. It was a great time to, to lead. And I was working on, in New Mexico, I was working with Spielberg and doing Earth 2, and I was away from the whole world of entertainment. I was just on set, away on location for an entire year. And I was, my, my son was about a year old, and, and then I went back to L.A. and started working with Aaron on, on, on Melrose Place. So it, was, it was good times. So it was fun. Um, and now in 96, you start as a murderer in the TV movie If Looks Could Kill. And as the story goes, a certain someone by the name of Calvin Klein, who you mentioned, watched it and wanted to meet you. Yeah. So do you remember how you found out that he, Calvin Klein wanted to meet you? <clears throat> Yeah, I had an agent, a uh, friend of mine at the time, who was living in New York, and um, and I just finished doing the film, If Looks Could Kill, uh, the John Hawkins story, which was a wonderful movie, and I had a great time working with David Keith and uh, Brett Dorif and a bunch of, just the cast, and the, it was a, a wonderful time. Uh, and um, apparently, Calvin Klein and everybody else knew about this character that I played, who lived through the 1980s and the Studio 54 times and all that, and... A lot of people knew about this guy because he did some bad stuff, right? And um, and I was playing him, and um, and basically he called me up, and uh, he called my agent. They knew each other from the fashion world, and so my friend called me up and said, "Listen, you want to go to New York and uh, meet Calvin? He's interested in meeting you for something." I didn't know what it was for. I was like, "Yeah, I'll be here tomorrow." So I was like, <laughs> "I got on the flight, I flew to New York, met Calvin, and we've been friends ever since." Um, I actually talked to him not not too long ago, and. And uh, yeah, and um, we did three campaigns, the longest for, for male guys ever, and especially celebrity. And it was a blessing, man. Working for, for the Calvin Klein company was phenomenal. And Calvin was, was he's, he's, a, he's a gentleman and great guy. It's just, you know, he's retired now. He doesn't have nothing to do with the company. But, you know, Calvin is Calvin. He's one of the, the biggest, if not the biggest in this country. So um, for that campaign, you worked with Herb Ritz again. And you appeared in a 90-foot billboard smack dab in the middle of Times Square. Did you have any idea when you signed on to do this campaign? No, no, I, I didn't know. I was very overwhelming. Um, I did three campaigns, Wayne Mazur, Herb Ritz, and Kelly Klein, which is, she was married to, to, to Calvin. She was the third and last photographer of the last campaign. But the first time uh, they asked me to fly to New York for the unveiling of the billboard, uh, which the building has been restructured, rebuilt. It's not there anymore, but we were, like you said, it was a huge billboard and uh, I unveiled it. And uh, I was there with my mom. It was, it was overwhelming. It was, it was crazy that a kid from Italy, uh, going to speak English is right here in Times Square. Uh, you know, and I was on Sunset Boulevard for many years and, so I was on the East Coast, the West Coast, all over the world in a matter of a week, you know, and it was, it was incredible. I was very um, thankful. Well, in 1998, you worked with another celebrity Calvin Klein model, Mark Wahlberg, on the film The Big Hit. Did you guys, like, trade stories about being known for how good you looked in your underwear? Yeah, great stories. He's a great guy. We had a great time doing that film. And funny enough, that film... Uh, was considered a low-budget film studio movie, and we we publicized it so much that it, it was the number one film in America for over a weekend. So I, I, you know, it was it was incredible to have a film, and I wasn't even supposed to be in the film that long, but it turned out that they kept calling me back to do more stuff, 
And we took that film number one in the country. And, um, and we talked about that, me and Mark, you know, we, we worked together on that and it was, it was great. It was, it was a wonderful cast. Uh, it was a lot of fun hanging out with the boys for our summer. It was in 1999, I believe. Uh, that summer in Toronto was pretty cool. We had a lot of, a lot of fun. <laughs> um, so uh, fast, fast forwarding a few years, uh, you returned to daytime and did The Bold and the Beautiful playing Dante Damiano. Uh, how did that come about? The producer, you know, uh, the Bell family, you know, they, they, they wrote this, they had this plan and they wrote it for me and, and that character too could come back, you know, uh, Dante or, or Jagger. So um, we left them open. If there ever, you know, came a possibility, you never know. But um, and it was great because I also brought my dad. My dad came on that show to play my dad. Um, which was cool. We worked on daytime together. Um, but daytime was wonderful. I mean, what's not to like? You know, you go to work every day you, you, and then you can come back and pick up your kids to school or spend the rest of the afternoon with your family or whatever. You know, it's just, it's, it's a great opportunity to keep working and have a steady job. It's wonderful. Um, any standout memories from B&B besides working with your dad, which is a great one? No, it was just, uh, you know, I had a chance to go to Italy because of that show again, uh, and because the show, be, you know, such a big show in Italy is number one show over there. So I, I became a really, you know, a bigger name because of that in Italy by working on, on, the, on BNB, which is incredible, you know, like more people know me in Italy because of it. Um, so I was able to go back to Italy and do some publicity there and be with my family. So if anything, BNB uh, brought me to my family in Italy. So I'm very thankful for that. <laughs> Very cool. So um, in 2008, you actually reprised the role of Jagger on the second season of GH Night Shift, which was Soapnet's uh, GH spinoff. So you last played the role in uh, 1995 when Jagger had returned to Port Charles to see Stone, his brother, who had been diagnosed with AIDS. So this is quite some uh, time span in between. You know, how did Night Shift uh, come about? They, they, I think they had a really great idea. I think if it came back now, I think it'd probably work. Uh, now, maybe then, you know, they tried, and I think they had some issues with SoapNet or whatever, or, or you know, it was shown on that network at the time. But it was great to have that possibility to take daytime into nighttime, and and I think I thought that was really cool um, to see if it would work. Like I said, I think it, it did for a very small amount of time, and I think it could come back right now, but. It was really good. It was, uh, it was a wonderful storyline. I was back on GH. I was back working with some of the cats and girls. And um, it was fun. It was fun. I think they should bring that back. Um, and I think it was, it, it, it was a way to show that soap, soaps can go other places and venture in other possibilities. So, and, and they treat it like a TV show more than a soap, which was really cool as well. And great storyline. So, and once again, that character is left there to, to come back if possible. Um, now, you also have a very diverse resume in the field of reality television, including winning NBC's Celebrity Circus in 2008, and the following year starring in VH1's My Antonio, following in the grand footsteps of Flavor Flav and Brett Michaels as various bachelorettes competed for your heart. So what was that experience like? It was fun. It was, uh, it was, it was an awesome TV show because it was, you know, it was called, you know, it was a reality show, but really it was, I was, I was a producer. I could, you know, I was able to ask for anything I wanted and ideas and the concepts and creating the show brought my mom into it. We had a great time. It was, it was, it was, it was nothing like the bachelor in the sense that we were going to get married or anything like that. It was, it was kind of a, a bachelor in steroids. I, I wanted to test, 
I wanted to test and put women through some some hardcore stuff and see, you know, how how far are the people willing to go <laughs> to be with somebody on reality TV? And we did. We we pushed the we pushed the limit with class and dignity, of course. Um, but it was fun. We were in Hawaii. My kids were there with me. Um, I was surrounded by dolphins in this uh, beautiful place I was staying at. So I couldn't complain. My mom was there playing this Sophia Loren. You know, she's from Prague. She's not Italian, but they always they made her look like she was this bigger than life character, uh, which was fun. She played it really well. So we had a great time. Um, and uh, I had my ex-wife come in, which was really fun. A lot, of, a lot of cool stuff happened on that show. But so I had a chance. I also won. I had a chance to win uh, Cupcake Wars. I won that. Cupcakes. Imagine that. I won that as well. <laughs> what was uh, your, I did what a your best cupcake? Yeah. <laughs> this business, man, you never know. But I'm very competitive and I don't. I don't like to lose, so I like to win. Wait, what was your best cupcake? We got to know the, 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 the kitchen. Well, my partner, you know, uh, she, she's, the, she's, she's the one. Uh, she just helped me. Uh, but out of the ones we made, uh, uh, peanut butter was amazing. Peanut butter was incredible. <laughs> I think that, that one got us to win. <laughs> <laughs> now, you also did um, Dancing with the Stars in 2014, and your partner was the lovely Cheryl Burke. What was your dancing experience like? Cheryl Burke, I mean, she's, uh, she's an incredible trainer. Uh, she's a pain in the behind. Uh, he, she, she really... Uh, um, I wouldn't say abuse me, but the dancing world is not fun. When you you got to go and go through some some hardcore stuff. And and I and I was doing two shows. I was doing the reality show that I produced uh, called you know Fix It and Finish It. So I was traveling all over the country and helping folks and doing renovations and all that. And at the same time, Cheryl would come and we would rehearse in between doing that show and then travel back. And it was it was really overwhelming. It was incredible. I was able to do that, and she was able to do that with me. Um, and we went for almost eight weeks. So I was like, we lasted this long considering what we had to do because everybody else stayed in LA. Everybody was like going from home, going to rehearse, and then you go and do the show. I had to get on the plane and go to Virginia or go to, uh, what are we, we went to Nashville. I don't know. I went all over the place. I lost count of many cities, but I, I was competitive. So I, I wanted to, but I never danced. So uh, but it was great. Uh, she's, she was awesome to work with. She won before, so she knew how to do it and, um, incredible, but, uh, it was tough, <laughs> really tough. Um, now you're also a father of three, two sons and a daughter. Tell us about your kids. My kids in my life. Um, my daughter just graduated from high school and, um, so she's about to have her life right now. She's amazing, incredible, uh, human being. All my kids are. My little boy is nine years old. He's, he's an angel. And, um, and my oldest, Jack, um, he's living in Alaska right now. Incredible. Um, so, yeah, my kids are just, uh, they're a blessing. Uh, they're creating their own lives. Um, and we're, we're there to support them and blessed to have them. They're the best thing that ever happened to me. Now, uh, this past July, you published your memoir that you referenced a little bit. Uh, Sabato, The Untold Story, uh, which is available on Amazon and other fine retailers. So what was the process like for you of uh, reflecting on your life thus far and putting it all you know, down on paper? Uh, it was great. It was very therapeutic. Um, I, I tell my friends, write a book <laughs> if you have any issues. Or you can just write a book, work on that. Um, it's very good. It's very good to kind of uh, let everybody, you know, let everybody know about my life. And I think there's some compelling stories there. Um, 
I think there's stories that could help some people out there. What the, the things that I went through, um, my personal life and business wise and all that. And, um, and what my family and I, what we all been through together. And so I, I thought it'd be nice to share that with the world and um, people are loving it and people are getting it and buying it and, and, and sending me really amazing messages. How much this is helping their lives. And um, so it's cool. So I, I was, you know, I had a fitness book years ago called no excuses, which is, you know, fitness is a big passion of my life and big part of my life. And now I'm, just finally, finally release something that is just my life and what I've been through. So uh, go get it and let me know what you think. <laughs> um, was there any hesitation in any of the stories you shared or did you have to talk to anybody about sort of being able to share them? No, no, I wanted to be open. And uh, right now I'm very fearless in my life. I feel very good. I'm very um, emotionally connected, if you want to call it that way, with my life, with what I have to do. And, you know, when you go through really hard times and you survive, hard times and you find yourself in those hard times you get to know yourself in a different way and, and your security um, your way of life changes it gets better and better and so yeah I think uh, and the book helped me do that um, and so yeah I feel good I have no restrictions I wanted to, to tell the truth honestly and uh, and it's good to, to release all that it's kind of releasing all that stuff for the world to see and uh, and hopefully they appreciate me more than before you know um, how long did the whole process take you to write this book? I, you know, it took about a year uh, to do. Um, but out of this book, we're writing a book about my mom, her life. So a lot of things happened because of this book. Um, and um, but you know, there's there's a lot more stories. You obviously you can't write every single thing that happened to me. But uh, I tried to pick and choose the things that I thought would be something that I would love to read. Um, and, uh, you know, all the losses and all the gains that, uh, that we as a family, you know, went through, uh, is shared in the book. And, uh, and I think people will be surprised a lot surprised about a lot of stories in there. Yeah. I feel like your family history had some interesting, um, components to it, including a connection to Auschwitz, which I was very surprised by and interested in. Yeah. My, my mother, you know, we, we drove to Prague one year and, uh, was in 1980, I believe around that time. And we drove to Prague and then my mom took me and my sister to a concentration camp outside of Prague. And she told us everything. She told us and showed us, uh, the gas chambers, the showers, um, Everything, everything. Uh, and I think that's so educational. You know, it's, it's shocking. It's, um, it's overwhelming. It's tragic. But that's my family. Mm -hmm. That's my bloodline. That's my grandmother who was able to survive that. And uh, my grandmother's brother and family died at Auschwitz. They couldn't come back. So those things, you know, the past makes a better future, right? Mm -hmm. Because you learn from the past. And uh, hopefully, <laughs> you don't want to make those mistakes over and over again because it's on you then, right? So... But um, to know that at a young age, uh, and then I found out even more so later on, and you find out in the book about what happened to my grandmother, because I only knew part of the story. Now I know the whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, but um, yeah, so when you go through all that, uh, it's, it's something that uh, makes you much stronger inside, you know? Mm -hmm. and that's how I feel now in my life, which is good. That's great. Absolutely. Well, before we let you go, um, when you like look back on your, your life and career and all of the uh, amazing and diverse things that you've done, how would you sum up what your time on General Hospital and your experience 
uh, as Jagger and that chapter of your life meant to you? You know, life is such a short journey. You know, we, we're here such a short amount of time. And uh, every day, every chapter is just a chapter in your life that you can look back. And General Hospital was an amazing chapter in my life. It's always open there. I mean, I'm always reminded um, about the characters, part of who I am and part of my life. So, but, you know, the, the thing about life is, is you never stop struggling. You always want to get better. You, always, you know, there's, there's, Maybe today is not a bad, yeah, it's a bad day, but tomorrow is going to be a better day. So you got to always keep working on yourself and your life. Uh, and part of that is, you know, the acting world, the, my, but that's not everything to me. Uh, there's much more to that in life. Um, my family, God, my connection with the spiritually that I have with the men upstairs, all that is much more important. So I'm very blessed for the journey that I've had so far and I'm excited for uh, what's next. <laughs> well, so are we. It was so great to talk to you today and catch up and hear everything you've been up to. And your life story is pretty amazing. So people should go out and buy this book for sure. And we hope to see you soon. Thank you so much. I appreciate you guys. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Antonio Sabato Jr. for being our guest. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast.